Hello and welcome to Locked on Marlins, your daily but not daily podcast from me, Peter Pratt, Monday edition. Hope everyone had a great weekend. Boy, oh boy, the NFL was absolutely off the chains. This is not an NFL podcast, but spoiler alert, there is a Locked on Rams. Uh, If you want to go and get yourselves tucked into that boy, that should be lively, as would Locked on Chiefs, as was Locked on Bills, I'm sure. <laughs> sure, they'd be wild. Uh, guys, hope everyone is well. And I have a, I have a, my, my wingman is back. Sean Barrett is back in the house. Sean, how are you doing? And how was the NFL weekend for you, buddy? Yeah, glad to be back, Pete. Uh, yeah, it was one of the craziest uh, divisional rounds I think I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, some proper, proper exciting games some really random decisions and all in all just absolute chaos and it was fantastic to watch. It was wonderful, wasn't it? It was the most wonderful chaos you've ever seen uh, for sure. And for those that don't know, I'm a Rams fan and probably thinking, why is that? My brother lives in St. Louis. So that's how I've been to see the St. Louis Rams and decided to follow them. So they've obviously moved now, but I am a Rams fan and I must say it was a high stress and it was a real test of dry January for me. Uh, I was absolutely cruising. I was loving it. I was thinking, this is fun. This is great. Tom Brady's getting absolutely buried here. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know what happened in that game. The Rams decided to, to make a whole season's worth of comical errors in the space of a quarter and a half of football. It was just insane, but they got it done. Cooper Cup gets it done and the Rams roll on. Uh, nevertheless, Sean Barrett, we are here not to talk about the Rams, not to talk about the NFL. We are here to talk about the Marlins and there's been some news uh, we, we last spoke for the uh, our eight-part trade season uh, episodes. And since then, the international free agent period has, has effectively come and gone. And so this episode, guys, we're going to, myself and Sean, dig into that. Uh, what approach did the Marlins take? What approach are they taking generally with international free agency and international, um, I guess, development in general? And the other question I've got for, for you, Sean, is more a topical discussion around the international free agency signing period itself, whether there should be a draft, whether it should stay as is, I don't know. So it's just something I was thinking of is why isn't there a draft? Why, why don't the best teams get to pick first of these international dudes? Um, but we'll get to that towards the end. Um, in summary, Sean, really what we had was uh, over 40 guys, 40 plus arm, not even, sorry, not arms, 40 plus guys were signed over 25 arms uh, signed by the Marlins in this period. It was, I mean, it was a huge class that they went and they they basically took the opposite approach to, to last year and perhaps many of the years uh, in this ownership group where historically there'd been some some big names with big money attached to them, less less volume. This year, it was a pure volume-based method. Um, what, did, what was your take on that in general, just thinking about how they went about this class in terms of just getting as many bodies as they could. I think it's a, it's a good technique and I like it. I think the, the major takeaway from that is, is not just the, the bodies that they bring in the 40 young guys that they're going to look to try and develop through the system. The more interesting thing to me is the fact that they've got that many guys because they're going to fill in another team now. And it's a clear directional um, sort of avenue for the team to say, look, we want to, grow our development side of the of the of the organization mm-hmm. and you know you can you could fill that with you know guys through the international uh free, you know free agency or whatever however you want to word it but yeah the the team have clearly said 
that they're going to start investing money specifically in the Dominican. And, you know, that that is for me a fantastic thing for the team to be doing because it's a relatively low cost way of developing talent for hopefully the major leagues team in the future. Yeah, really, really is. And the funny thing is when you break it down in terms of the talent that they drafted or, or signed in this period, um, predominantly, I mean, like there was... 19 guys from the, the Dominican Republic. And that's the kind of the core market that the market that the Marlins and many other organizations are set up in. And, and like you said, there's they're adding a team, they're building a new complex, like the Marlins are going all in into this kind of market and this approach. And it makes just so much sense. You see so many times you get these guys, young guys, international signings that 10 grand, 20 grand, 100 grand, 200 grand, whatever. Um, and they end up becoming big league players and some of them elite big league players. This is the thing. Like, this is a really an untapped market in many ways. Not untapped, that's probably the wrong way of describing it. But for someone like the Marlins, it's really a huge opportunity for them. It really is. And to then go away and, you know, they're creating now effectively a state-of-the-art development campus three major league size, um, uh, I guess, baseball fields, uh, various kind of meeting areas, et cetera, trying to make it like a real nice environment based out of the DR. So, you know, really nice approach for the Marlins there. The other thing that caught my eye as well, Sean, was um, they, a couple, you know, good chunk of players out of Venezuela too, which uh, isn't surprising. Uh, But the standout as well, there was two, don't know if you spotted it, but two Bahamian studs also dropping in there, which I liked. So the Marlins... They're kind of all of a sudden becoming the the leader in the Bahamas. They're becoming like, you know, if, if you're a Bahamian uh, baseball player, the Marlins all of a sudden are like your go-to team, uh, which I thought was interesting. And I don't know if you saw that one of the lads' names uh, was uh, Sheriff Namor. Um, so there's a new sheriff or a sheriff in town, however we want to phrase it. But I think that's four guys from the Bahamas now in the system, obviously, Jazz um, Ian Lewis and then uh, Namor and I think they also signed a, an outfielder Toby Simmons so uh, they're adding to their the Bahamian pool uh, but you know they I, I, I like you said I loved this approach just adding another team adding in more staff more scouting and just filling that filling that now and the other thing as well that I spotted and I, I talked about it a few weeks ago on on the pod um, with their new international scouting director, the fact that he typically targets some older pitchers and older arms. And some of the first guys they signed actually in this period were like 19, 20 year old arms. So you could see his profile is already starting to kind of wean into to what the Marlins were doing. So, I mean, excited situation, uh, I, you know, volume, new team, new headquarters out in the DR very exciting. When I look back, I mean, we're going to talk about prospects on our ne- next episode, but what was, you know, stood out to me was Uri Perez, the, the Marlins' top prospect now. He was signed for 200 grand two years ago. So this is absolutely the avenue the Marlins should be exploring. You know, how, you know, how, how do you see this changing, the way that they go about things? You know, is, it, is this going to be the, the core focus um, you're moving forwards, you know, just kind of keep adding to the system at these levels and, and just developing themselves. I guess that's the most sustainable way for like a Marlins to operate, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously they're not going to be adding 40 guys 
every year. I don't think because <laughs> no. you're, you're not going to burn through that many players, and you've got once you sign a guy, you're going to have to give him a couple of years in the system. But this is was clearly a situation where they were going to develop a new team. They needed to fill it with bodies, mm. uh, and you know, ultimately, the way that this to me looks is there's a cap on money. There's only so much money that you can spend over this each year's uh, signing uh, period. So every team's capped to that level. But as far as spending money on, you know, the developing of those players, of the, like you said, in the Dominican Republic, having this state-of-the-art complex, hiring scouts and player development people, you know, there's no limit to that. You can spend as much money as you want on that. And you can almost say this is a way that the Marlins can maximise their ability you know you are capped with the money that you can spend but if you spend it more wisely mm. there's no limit to what you can do and as you said there are players all the time that are available for far less money and yeah it is a case of you know there's so many players down there you've got to you know some players will get missed and you you probably you've got to look through the weeds to get there but there are always going to be these diamond in the rough players that you know, haven't made it to this point for one reason or another. And if you can highlight that's the missing piece to that arsenal that these players have got, then yeah, you're going to be able to develop these players through the system for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think the main standout, just kind of the the main name that cropped up was uh, Joffrey Salado, a shortstop guy. And the Marlins have, have had some nice success, I think, in... You know, adding they've added a lot of shortstops to the system, it feels, in the past few years and drafts in particular. Um, and so, you know, by all accounts, the, the bat looks nice already. And, you know, maybe the glove or the defensive side is, you know, perhaps a work in progress. Like he, I think in the, the Zoom call, he, he called it out to say that um, the glove isn't quite where he wants it to be just yet. And, you know, that's a focus for him. But nevertheless, you know, he was, you know, I, I guess one of the top 50. Uh, prospects of the Marlins they've spread their money around <laughs> added in more bodies but nevertheless like you said you know they're it's unlimited the amount of resource they can plow into the development of these guys the one thing I liked as well that came out is they've seemingly set it up where you've got the scouts working in market in country um, all in their different zones they're out scouting these young guys and then they seem to have this weekly um, almost like a an open day an open tryout where they kind of bring different guys in on a weekly basis and get a second look at them or a closer look in their own environments and stuff. So it's a really interesting approach um, for sure. But, you know, what we know is they've gone deep, they've gone broad, you know, heavy Dominican and Venezuelan influence, couple of Bahamian Bahamas studs in there too, uh, which is nice. They're adding, you know, this new complex they're adding a lot of new players right now because they need to fill out the uh, the new teams. So, you know, a lot is going on in this space for the Marlins. Like it really, it really is. I feel like, I feel like almost we need a specialist podcast kind of keeping up to up to date with what's happening in the Dominicans. So, um, yeah, cool. Well, we'll hit the pause button there a sec, mate. And when we when we come back, we're going to get into this kind of draft uh, pool money discussion and and just try and pick the bones out of that. But before we get there. Let's get into our favourites. It is still January, guys, and it's time to talk about Bilt Bar. Um, how's the New Year's resolutions going? Dry Jam, for me, is still about hanging on just about. But if your resolution is about getting fit, or eating healthier, make sure you include Bilt Bar in your plan. 
Bill Bar, it's a protein bar, but it tastes like a candy bar. Maybe even better than a candy bar. It makes, makes it easier to stick to your resolutions because it tastes good. You'll want to eat them. Unlike other protein bars, chalky, waxy, or tastes like chemical spills. Boy, oh boy. How many flavors? So many. Coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, raspberry, cookies and cream, salted caramel, mint brownie. So many, all available at built.com. Get yourselves over there. If you want to make a purchase, use the promo code LOCKED15. Get 15% off your order. That's LOCKED15. 15% off at built.com. Okay, then, Sean. So, um, what have I missed before we get into this draft uh, and free agency setup? What have I missed? I probably missed something here in this international pool. Um, you know, we've got the players, we've got the complex, new staff. A lot going on. Um, have I missed anything? <laughs> uh, not that I'm aware of. I just want to I'll probably add just a little bit about uh, Yoshi Solano, so the, the one Please player do. that he is named. So as you said, yeah, he was probably, I think it was 44th ranked. Uh, so yeah, top 50, as you said. He was the one player that the Marlins signed and actually there was a, a, a monetary value set in there. So it was 750,000. So there's no small change, you know. Uh, so the one thing that that interested me in is all the other guys that they've they've signed have all been low level sort of 50 grand or less i, I would presume so this is a one guy that they've highlighted and said that yeah they this is the one the number one guy that we're going to sign uh and yeah he's an interesting guy I mean, you know, all these players are young uh so he's only 17. um and as you said the defense is interesting is will he stick it short or would he move over to second base he looks, from what I've read, a 50 grade across the board. So he's a player that, you know, if it develops, he could he could see major league time. Um, so for an investment like that, it's it's quite a low investment for a guy that realistically could make his way to the majors. So I just I, he's a name that I'm going to be interested in keeping an eye on him simply because he's the one player that the Marlins have said, this is, you know, this is a guy that we want to pick up. The rest of the guys, you know, this time would tell, but you know, the, to spend nearly a million of their just over five million budget on one player when they knew that they wanted to pick up all these other guys as well, mm. just an interesting aspect that I thought, you yeah, know, worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, no, no, I agree. It's you know, clearly someone they identified that they wanted, uh, for sure. And yeah, it it makes sense. You gotta, you know, if you can see a guy that you like and maybe get him for a value that you like, I guess that's part of the equation too. Um, but clearly they had a plan. Uh, and this is the thing with the Marlins, just in general, the way they're, they're adding to their system. The, the plan is always clear. This is the beauty. Like I, I sometimes I look at teams and the way they operate and the way they draft. And I, I come away feeling a bit puzzled, uh, but the Marlins have just, they've gone, you know, that draft where they went all arms. Then more recently they, they went and, you know, went, bats plus catcher and we're trying to kind of fill holes like the plan's been obvious and then for this signing period too they just went serious volume um it's been a bit of a, an interesting history though in this you know with this uh, organization group though sean with you know free agent signings clearly i mean the big moves were the the mesa brothers obviously when that was pretty much straight after the um the new ownership group came in and it's fair to say that you know, Victor, Victor in particular is, it looks like that's a, potentially a full-blown flame out there. Victor Mesa Jr. I think still has, you know, potential, but, you know, that kind of shows us though, I think on the flip side, you know, even you throw a couple of million at these young dudes that like drafting, there is no guarantees though, is there? And, 
you may as well go more volume and spread it around rather than you know take a shot on i mean not that not to spin this into a a, Vic, a mesa kind of spin-off podcast but what's your take on on victor victor in particular the the kind of lack of progression i think really yeah 100% i think you know he he saw a little bit of time at double a this year um and wasn't didn't look great you know ultimately the weird thing that i think is that victor victor mesa came up um as uh, the premier piece of the two mm. and then victor mesa jr was kind of almost like an add-on of like if you want to sign me any team that wants to sign me you've got to sign my little brother as well yeah and interestingly enough victor mesa jr now i think that, that that's flipped that you know mesa, victor mesa jr now is probably the premier one out of the two and I, I i'm not sure why that might be i mean obviously one interesting way to look at it is You've got a young kid, he's 19 years old, just about to turn 20 soon. And he's seen his older brother almost flame out. Mm-hmm. So it's almost a situation where he's seen what could happen to him if he's not given 100%. You know, so he's, he's got that cautionary tale almost. Um, whether that is the case or not, I don't know. But it was just interesting that the two players' values have now completely flipped. Mm-hmm. And you know, it'll be interesting to see what Victor Mesa Jr. does develop into. I think Victor Victor Mesa is now just organized organizational depth. I don't see him ever making it to the majors. Um, you know, let's not rule him out entirely, but it it doesn't seem to be trending in that direction anyway. No, it as, you, as you said, it is a case where you can you can put all your money into one player or a couple of players, and it still doesn't work out. And you can spread your money across. And you know, ultimately, if one of those players out of those forty makes it to the major leagues, the money that's been invested um, far you know is far lower than the reward that they will get from having a major league baseball player come come through that system. Yeah, yeah, agreed. That's that's the thing, and I I completely agree, mate. It's you know. Victor Victor was, you know, when he signed, he was a, a top 100 prospect on, you know, pretty much, I'm looking here, actually, he was a consensus top 100 prospect across Baseball America, uh, Baseball Prospectus, and, and MLB as well, and their prospect pipeline. So there you go. We can turn around so quick. That was in, you know, pre-2019. So, you know, we're a couple of years on from that. And, I mean, I'm not sure where Victor Victor Mesa sits now on, on, on anyone's prospect list. So, you know, like you said, maybe Victor Mesa Jr., but I know, you know, he's definitely not a top 100 prospect right now, but you're right, the values have flipped. It looks like Victor Mesa Jr. himself had a, had a nice year in A-ball um, for sure and is young for the age. I think he's only 19, um, you know, for the you know for, for A-ball and he looked like he had a good year. Um, so, you know, in, encouraging for sure. But I think that's the, the thing, that the takeaway for me is everyone takes, everyone's on different, development paths everyone takes different amounts of time who looks good at 15 16 years of age does it translate you know these there's so many questions and you know for the marlins I, i'm you know going back to it i just like the strategy of just adding in a lot of pieces and getting to work with them i think what we have seen is you know the development you know we we've shown that we can develop particularly pitchers clearly um so that that is encouraging um, okay, cool. Well, uh, thanks for digging into, uh, well, the deep dive on that and then a bit of a segue into, into the Mesas, which wasn't expected. <laughs> um, while I also, I'll ask you, Sean, just while I, I share about the guys with, uh, with BetOnline AG, 
Um, have a look at Yidi Cape. I'd be interested to see what Yidi Cape has done last year as well in his first year, who was the big standout signing last year. So um, I'll let you dig into that while I, while I tell everyone about uh, Bet Online. Guys, Bet Online, they want to wish you a happy Betting New Year. We continue our march to and through the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 22. New Year, new updated desktop and mobile website. Sign up today and receive your 50%, that's 5-0, 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code Locked On to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. And Bet Online, where the game starts. Oh, and Sean, where did the game start for Yidi Cape? Um, what kind of year did he have? I have not looked once. So this, he he may have not even had 10 at-bats, but I feel like he he probably has. So uh, <laughs> have you even had a chance to find him? That is the question. I haven't, unfortunately. You uh, you do love to put me on the spot sometimes, don't you? I do, mate. Well, let's, let me, let's do this on the fly, mate, um, and see what we can see about you because he was the standout name from last year. He was. Okay. So, yeah. So he, he played a little bit, um, obviously at rookie ball and, uh, yeah, no, not, not bad. I mean, the nine stolen bases and the eight court stolen kind of jump out at me. Mm. So maybe a little bit of work on the base pass needs to occur, but you know, a nice, a nice average, two seventy average three, two, nine OBP. So the walks aren't quite, Perfect. Uh, 731 OPS. So it's early days, isn't it? He's, yeah. he's, he's so young at the moment and uh, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some time. But yeah, no, realistically, he's again, a bit like the Mesa brothers. He was that premier guy, that, that number one guy that mm-hmm. sort of highlighted the, the class of last year. So, you know, it's time will tell. It's always the case with these, you know, it's almost like, you know, first a first round draft pick you've got to give him two or three years yeah and uh you know he's probably going to see a little bit of time at low a next year um and you know if things go well high a but realistically if he develops how the team expect him to you're not looking at a major league pros- in a major league uh start till what 2025 2026 yeah. you know it, it's a case of you know time will tell it's interesting looking back here. They, you know, it was a uh, three and a half million signing bonus for Cape. He was ranked as the tenth prospect in that class overall. So, you know, effectively, it is. You know, it's like taking a player and having to pay them like a first round draft pick. You know, that's how it translates actually when you're at that kind of value. Um, and so, you know, you you you'll treat now Cape as a, effectively. Uh, and that will have the gravitas as a first round pick and his career will be tracked accordingly uh, for sure. So, you know, it's interesting. That kind of segues into it, mate, is is this methodology in general. And it's one that I hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about before, probably because lack of knowledge or understanding, to be honest with you. Um, but what what kind of puzzles me around this whole situation is at the heart of, US sports and franchise sports and, and whatever, at the heart of that is the worst teams get to get the best players. That's at the heart of these, you know, for competitive balance. And I know they try to keep the competitive balance by having a cap on the pool, the amount of pool money you can have. And I guess that's the way they're trying to 
balance things. But what's your thoughts on approaching the international class more like a typical draft where, you know, the Orioles pick first or the Tiger, whoever it may be at that time, I'm doing a disservice to these teams because they'll probably be good in the future. But, you know, worst team, 30th overall uh, in, in the standings, picks first and you have an allocated slot like you do with the draft. Do you ever see it going that way or do you see it kind of sticking into this kind of current methodology of pool money and negotiate with the players directly? Uh, it's an interesting topic because the way you've just phrased it is not how I would have first looked at it is as far as a competitive balance situation where at the moment it's a free for all the Yankees. I think this year spent, uh, got the number one prospect as far as availability. Mm-hmm. And, but all, all, you know, to me, all teams have that opportunity because there is a cap on the money mm-hmm. and the less and the, not the lesser teams, but the teams who are, you know, the the values that they're allowed to spend increase depending on your performance. So the Marlins had a bigger uh, pool than, say, the Yankees. But ultimately, you can't sign anyone to more than a $5 million uh, bonus. So all teams more or less have the same um, sort of opportunity. The way I would look at it is not as a, a competitive balance situation, but a monetarily um motivated situation where we've already seen during this off season and, and in years past the owner's number one um job as an owner is to try and run a profitable business mm. i mean you can say it's to, you know you can be romantic and say oh no the, the owners want to win they, they want to win because that helps them make more money and we can see during the 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 CBA um, situation during this off season, the, the, the arguments over money are massive. And to me, I think the reason why the owners would like to have a draft is because they can then put caps on those values. I think ultimately you've got 30 teams with roughly 5 million each. So it's 150 million for each year spent just on this, on this draft or on the signing bonuses in a draft could they get that down to 100 and fit it in a little bit easier into the budget i think any change that happens in baseball i'm more i i personally am always going to run over the you know my eyeballs of it of saying is this a way for the owners to spend less money I think, I mean, we know the time of the year and we know what's going on in general. And I, I think looking through that, I guess, through the lens of pessimism uh, around that is is probably the right lens to be looking through in some ways. Um, yeah, so, it, you know, if it is driven by the owners, it is probably perhaps uh, around reducing the amount of investment they require. And, you know, that kind of then takes you down a, a tricky path of then you starting to get down to child exploitation type areas which you know is is not a good area of conversation i think this is an important part of this whole process is to make sure that that doesn't happen and make sure these kids are protected or are guided properly i heard miggy speaking on the rose rotation pod a a few weeks back uh, and it was one of the things he called out specifically about how players ml pa clubs even need to do a better job at, at nurturing younger talent in these in these countries 
um, in all facets. And that includes making sure they have, have the education alongside the baseball stuff, but equally just not, you know, not exploiting them fundamentally. You, you know, yes, these clubs are giving them an opportunity. Okay, great signing bonus of 20 grand. Great. Um, but, you know, it's a fine line for 15, 16, 17 year olds, you know, these discussions, it is a real fine line. And so I think that's the bit for me where it, it feels, I'd like for it to be a little bit more formalized in some ways. Like it feels a little bit wild west, but at the same time, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I don't know, but yeah, I don't know. I'm interested to see, I'm going to spend a bit more time kind of investigating this space um, and just trying to get onto the, the nuts and bolts of it. So if any listeners are listening and thinking, Pete, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, absolutely, that that's correct and very, very true. And so um, do reach out and let me know your thoughts, where you think this could or should be headed. You know, is, is the current method the right method? What are the risks for the kids? What are the risks for the team? I don't think there's many risks for the teams other than the fact they make bad investments. Um, but you know, what, what could the future look like in this area? You know, could a draft be coming instead? Should a draft be there? Giving the worst teams the first picks and the, the, the picks of the better prospects. I don't know. It feels a little bit strange that they don't have that based on how everything else operates with other player acquisitions. So, yeah, I think it's an intriguing, intriguing topic for sure. But, you know, one that I need to, I think, upskill on. And I'm going to be tracking a little bit more closer um, moving forwards, I think. So, yeah, I think, Sean, in summary... Uh, a successful draft. I think when we look back on this and go successful draft for the Marlins, they have added in a ton of new scouts, a ton of new staff into, uh, and have really invested in this process. So that's great to see the Marlins are kind of taking themselves to the next level um, in this kind of area of their organization, which I think is critical. I also would like to see them do something similar in, in the Bahamas. Like let's get a, a Miami Marlins uh, Bahamas complex going. Um, but you know, it's all encouraging signs. They've got this extra team and it just gives them much more flexibility in a way to, you know, get just more looks at more players. And like you said, if you get one guy out of one draft, yes, there's 40 guys. Other years, there's been 10. If you get one that makes it to the major leagues and it's all worthwhile for sure. So yeah, really, really positive. Uh, like you said, I think there's a few standout names we'll be tracking. I'm particularly going to be tracking uh, the, the lads from the Bahamas. And then also, yeah, the, the, the guy, the shortstop you'd kind of dug into, which does, you know, he is, I guess, the highlight name for, um, for, for the Marlins in this class. So, yeah, that's us, guys, on Monday. We're going to finish up and wrap up there uh, for Monday's episode of Locked On Marlins. Sean Barra, thank you, buddy, for hopping on. Uh, my uh, very, very esteemed colleague now almost and co-host. I might get to co-host him uh, on this one. We'll have to, we'll have to see, see what see what financial package we can put together. But um, guys, we're going to be back tomorrow and uh, we have a prospect discussion. Me and Sean are going to be, well, Sean's back. So first there, spoiler alert. And secondly, we're going to be getting into some uh, some prospect talk in terms of where the uh, the most recent list, the top 100 lists are out, um, or some of them are out or all of them are out. And we're going to get into some of them and look at how they've, well, who's on there for the Marlins, who isn't on there, um, who was on there before and who could be on there at the end of the year. So a few questions for us to get into. Um, join us again tomorrow, Locked on Marlins. And uh, we'll look forward to speaking to you then.